Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye, for the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Good evening again, folks. Welcome once more, especially to each of our new listeners, to this session of From the Eye of the Storm. Tonight, as we continue our heading to our port of call, Calm Harbor, centered at the very eye of the storm. Tonight's point of departure shall be in the fields of the world, which are white unto harvest. Because Jesus prayed, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Matthew 9:38. Jesus is here speaking, of course, of the fields of souls God is seeking to save that have been lost. First, Jesus establishes the preeminent aspect of his mission on earth, pursuing the will of God the Father by likening God's will to his meat. And I quote, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. John 4, 34, 38. Parenthetically, later, Jesus will deepen his connection with his Father by declaring, I and my Father are one. John 10, 30. Jesus, in witnessing to the Samaritan woman while the disciples are away getting food, thus confuses their encouragement to eat by claiming he has food already, bringing their attention from the physical to the spiritual. His meat is the will of the Father. Further, Jesus alerts the disciples that God's spiritual harvest fields are even as they speak, white unto harvest. This encouragement has continued to ignite believers of each succeeding generation, even up to and including ours. Yes, our very day. Jesus even delegates the positions of work, noting that there are those who sow or tell and those who reap or lead those who accept the word of God to receive Jesus into eternal life. Jesus reveals the disciples are laborers entering the fields that have already been cultivated, sown, and even today, in this moment, are now ripe and ready to harvest. Matthew chapter 20 reveals our Lord's parable of how laborers are chosen. Listen closely as you hear God revealing his desire for each of us to serve him by witnessing to the world about. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. 
And I quote from chapter beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers unto his, into his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and said to them, Why do you stand here all day idle? And they said, Because no man has hired us. And he says unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and you have paid them equal to us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that as yours, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is your eye evil because I'm good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. The Apostle Paul further informs believers how God enables each one for their particular task in the field, God supplies each individual their assignment uh, and position and tools. This is often referred to as their calling. And Paul instructs, quotes, uh, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 9.10 It is the Lord who reveals his word to each of us to sow and to harvest. He also supplies food and daily provision for each laborer. It is God who increases our store of seed and enlarges our harvest of righteousness. The prophecy of our blessed hope, so framed by Paul in Titus 2.13, was key in my salvation. It was in reading Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth that I realized one spiritual step I had never taken was to pray directly to Jesus himself to save me. Lindsay's reference to 1 John 5.13 captured my attention, and it reads, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. 1 John 5.13 Coupled with God's encouragement through Paul's declaring, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.13 Convinced me my being a whosoever and thus qualifying me to speak directly to Jesus. Lindsay's inclusion of Jesus' personal invitation to meeting him in Revelation 3.20 cinched my confidence to call in prayer to Jesus himself, because Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Again, Revelation 3.20. I told the Lord, I had given my sins to other men, and they were supposed to take them to you, 
and get them taken care of. I told him that I had read in his word that we were supposed to know for certain that we have eternal life, and that I knew for certain that I did not know for certain if I was going to heaven. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and save me, and help me especially to know that I would know for certain I was going to heaven. That was September 22nd, 1974, about three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. When I stood up from praying on my knees to the Lord, someone said, well, well, what happened? And I said, I'm going to live forever in heaven with Jesus. And they said, how do you know that? And I pointed to the Bible and I said, because that book, it says so. I've been following Jesus ever since. Within roughly six months, Jesus called me to preach and then to join a local congregation and then to the mission field in Bible school. During that time, someone demanded if I believed in the rapture prophecy, because Lindsay's theme in the late great planet Earth was the rapture. Feeling boxed in, I said yes, realizing that though I knew nothing about the prophecy and hadn't noticed it when reading Hal's book, if he was for it, so was I. Serious study began in earnest. I knew with my testimony I had no choice. Two decades later, after I had spent years wading through the most popular positions on that prophecy, my wife insisted on our buying a computer. She reminded me I had always wanted to write a book, and this was the time. Earnest prayer ensued, seeking God's direction on the subject matter for this book. The rapture continued to be impressed on me. A book leading up to the rapture, I thought, but the Lord said no. A book following the aftermath of the rapture then, I assumed, but again, the Lord said no. Finally, I realized the Lord wanted a book on the very moment of the event, an entire book on the fastest recorded prophetical event in the Bible besides the resurrection. The very first challenge was a working title to keep my focus on the main theme of the work, which was to be the very moment of the rapture, and God willing, inside of it. Prayer resulted in the choice of, for the working title, when now becomes too late. This title expressed the essence of Paul's atomically described moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 through 58, while simultaneously combining the bedrock certainty of the very best future with the absolute very worst of all possible worst futures. That working title was then decided on. And so I began forging through scripture, seeking God's leading constantly, as I began meditating on capturing the shortest divine prophetical moment involving the greatest number of people in the world in one miracle since the flood, unplumbed as yet at that point in literary history. Only Paul had very briefly described the rapture experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. In a terse passage with a few short verses that continue to excite questions even today. In the midst of preparing to publish what would become my first endeavor in writing a book, a testimony study focusing on the prophecy of the imminent any moment rapture, I suddenly suffered pause. Start to finish, from the conception of the topic to the final draft, 
The writing had dominated the previous nearly three years of my and my family's lives. Although the temporary working title I had employed to frame the work had well served its purpose, approaching publication for real, I became fearful the working title, when now becomes too late, was too pushy, too in your face to use the actual proper title to introduce my perspective on the next major prophetical biblical event scripturally slated to erupt on planet Earth without any given parameters of time, devoid of a hint of the day or hour of destination, the only one sure fact being Jesus' shout must emit on the day that is called today. I was preparing to take a giant leap of faith from a cliff whose base was shrouded somewhere below the mist that I was pondering. So killing two birds with one stone, I took the family to vacate uh, in Corpus Christi to the beach and to pray and seek God's leading on the title. It was my first professional submission after all, and I was naturally anxious for multiple reasons. Overlooking the Gulf of Mexico, we had a great time. But prayer and seeking God's direction seemed vain. Apparently, no answer was forthcoming from God. That happens. We've all been there. Going to the lobby to sign out the last day, I was surprised to find the hall filled with folks watching large screens scattered throughout the smallish hall. It looked like a good movie, but I was trying to sign out and get out of there. I hurried to the desk and found the young clerk with his back to the public watching the same film on his screen. Trying to grab his attention, I prodded, must be a great movie. He countered my observation emphatically without turning around. Not a movie, a news report. The clerk, appearing to be young and inexperienced, was firm in his assessment. Having been a military journalist, followed by stints acting on stage and in films, even in New York City, the obvious location of this movie and above all, anxious to get signed out, I employed an old acting trick, swinging my arm back toward the lobby, trying to gain his attention in order to correct him when I was stopped dead in my tracks. Spinning back around to him, I exclaimed, the other tower just collapsed. Now turning to me, he explained, sir, I'm trying to tell you, this is a news report. This is happening in New York City Right now, this morning, he emphasized, staring directly into my eyes while studying my face for reaction. We watched together in silence over the next few minutes. At first, one tower would collapse and then the other. I knew then God was answering my prayers because the working title I had feared was too bold and in your face was flashing through my mind when now becomes too late as I watched the world-famous trade towers continually collapsing over and over and over again. Let's now return to Matthew 20 and Jesus' parable of the laborers for the field. First, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven unto a man who is a householder who goes out early in the morning seeking to hire laborers for his vineyard. It's important to emphasize he is going to pay them. He finds laborers, settles on the day's wage, and sends them out to his vineyard to work. 
He goes out again about the third hour and finds laborers standing idle in the marketplace and sends them out to work, agreeing to give them a fair wage. The householder returns to the marketplace at the sixth hour and then also the ninth hour and does likewise. He goes out one last time in the eleventh hour and finds more laborers standing idle. He has plenty of work for everyone. And it says, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why stand ye here all day idle? And they said, because no man has hired us. And he says to them, go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. Matthew 20, verses 6 and 7. Jesus has yet one more point to make. Quote, so when even uh, was come, the Lord of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, Well, these last have wrought but one hour, and you have made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take that yours and go your way. I will give unto this last, even unto you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is your eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. Matthew 20, 13, 16. The end of the day brought the pay for the labor done. The last were chosen first, yet like the first they received the same wage. We have not reached the end of the day, but we are closer than we have ever been. Many Christians are testifying they can even see the day approaching. Paul relates in Hebrews, for yet a little while, and he shall come, will come, and will not tarry, Hebrews 10.37. Roughly three decades before that, Jesus employed the same exact phrasing when he says, a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father, a statement which puzzled his disciples. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, What is this he says, a little while? We cannot tell what he says. John 16 verses 16 through 18. As close as Jesus would ever come to in describing this event was to warn that no one would know the day. He even refined that to refined in an hour that you think not. Paul further clarified Jesus. His shout uh, would be in a moment, employing the Greek term <laughs> my screen just jumped, uh, employing the Greek term uh, atomos, our English word, atom, framing the brevity of the actuation of our rapiamor. Importantly, the day that Jesus speaks of, as all others, is emphasized as the day in which we are actually in at the moment of Jesus' shout. A moment within this present hour, for example. Yes, this fast. 
Recognizing our need to be about Jesus's work, we must first remind ourselves of Jesus's declaration of the work of God in John chapter 6. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6, 28, 29. So we know that Jesus is the one who calls us to join him in harvesting souls. We know in our present hour, that is, according to his word, it is never too late to begin. And we know the last shall be paid first and all will be rewarded for their work. We know that believing in Jesus is paramount in this equation. But what kind of positions are available and what what work is involved? As to the kinds of work available, Jesus began describing it in Matthew 9, even as he recognized the harvest fields that were even then white and waiting to be harvested. And the area is, in fact, the entire world. As John 3.16 reveals, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, yes, whosoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. Paul refines the order of giftings by God to labor for him in Ephesians. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. God's intent is that believers submit to his leading through the Holy Spirit to become his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. In fact, in Matthew 9.35-38, Jesus reveals the essence of the labors he desires. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, Matthews 9, 35 through 38. So we see that teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, praying for healing, every disease, every affliction are some of the chores for the laborers in the fields. And the list continues to grow the deeper we read into the Bible. 9-11 summons up fears and anguish in we who witnessed it firsthand. To many young folks, it's just history. Like Pearl Harbor, there's no real connection or reality. There's an old case knife on a bookshelf in my bedroom. It lays among a number of old other knives, many of them newer and shinier than the old case, but none are anywhere near as prized as that knife, even with its blades broken, the knife dirty, scarred, and fading. You can still see the small silver plaque on one side engraved with the legend, old timer. (laughs) It was given to me by a friend, much older than I at the time, many decades ago. His name is Jack Murphy, and Jack is now with Jesus. He has been for many decades. Jack was in the Navy. He was on a destroyer in the South Pacific. His ship was based at Pearl Harbor. One day, his captain received orders to sail out to a destination away from Pearl and the captain obeyed his orders. The next morning dawned bright and beautiful out there on the Pacific, and it was December 7th, 1941. 
The captain of Jack's destroyer entered into Pearl Harbor after the Japanese attack, and for the next 36 hours, Jack himself, who had grown up in southeast Tennessee, swimming in the Hiawassee River, dove down into the waters over and over again into the sunken ships, rescuing fellow sailors. 163 men were saved that day from certain death. Jack's most outstanding gift was his courage. He received the Medal of Honor for his courage. It was a tremendous honor for me to hear the report that one of Jack's final words before he died were, Where's Terry? (laughs) I'll be looking for Jack when I get to glory. He'll be raised from the dead at Jesus' shout, given a new incorruptible, immortal body, and so shall I. And so shall each one of you and everyone who believes in Jesus, dead and alive when Jesus shouts. That's Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. In verse 18, Paul concludes with comfort one another with these words. Paul reminded us in Galatians 6.10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10 Should anyone listening desire more encouragement from the Word of God, you may Google T.L. Farley Books. Interested in going deeper on the daily basis? Dive in from the springboard of Jesus' parable of the fig tree to begin discovering God's golden nuggets, because his shingle is out now, today, especially on the day that must be called (laughs) today. Last off for Pimor, edition 5. Jesus' atomic shout at any moment. For Jesus, take no thought for tomorrow. For Paul, while it's still called today. Genesis through Revelation. 25-plus Bible versions revealing continuity, 1,350-plus verses for encouragement, with a 1,500-plus alphabetically arranged scripture index for comfort and strength. And the Lord willing, until we meet again in the eye of the storm, in the air, or at supper. Brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, Uncles, aunts, cousins, new friends, and strangers. Join the work in the fields of Jesus. Follow him. We're looking for that last Christian. We're hoping it might even be you listening. And to everyone I say, good harvest. Maranatha. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air or at supper, here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley bidding you a good evening.